could she but have given Harriet her feelings about it all? She had talked her into love, but alas, she was not so easily to be talked out of it. The charm of an object to occupy the many vacancies of Harriet's mind was not to be talked away. He might be superseded by another. He certainly would indeed. Nothing could be clearer. Even a Robert Martin would have been sufficient, but nothing else she feared would cure her. Harriet was one of those who, having once begun, would be always in love. Hey there, welcome back to Another World Audiobook. So happy to have you here on, with, on the show with us uh, here today. Uh, we've got some cool stuff coming up. I'll tell you what, uh, the holidays are approaching, uh, which means we're going to be kind of doing our annual Christmas Carol uh, break to give me a little break from recording the podcast. And also just, I don't know, to me, there's nothing better than a Christmas Carol to get you into the spirit of the holiday season. So I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, we'll still be carrying on here with Emma. And um, stay tuned for a very special guest appearance from a guest narrator and a bunch of bonus content coming up real soon like so make sure that you're subscribed and make sure that you're sharing this with other people who enjoy free audiobooks because that's what we're all about all right without further without further ado let's get into today's chapter of emma chapter four Human nature is so well disposed toward those who are in interesting situations that a young person, who either marries or dies, is sure to be kindly spoken of. A week had not passed since Miss Hawkins' name was first mentioned in Highbury, before she was, by some means or other, discovered to have every recommendation of person and mind, to be handsome, elegant, highly accomplished, and perfectly amiable. And when Mr. Elton himself arrived to triumph in his happy prospects and circulate the fame of her merits, there was very little more for him to do than to tell her Christian name and say whose music she principally played. Mr. Elton returned a very happy man. He had gone away rejected and mortified, disappointed in a very sanguine hope, after a series of what appeared to him strong encouragement— and not only losing the right lady, but finding himself debased to the level of a very wrong one. He had gone away deeply offended. He had come back engaged to another, and to another as superior, of course, to the first, as under such circumstances what is gained always is to what is lost. He came back gay and self-satisfied, eager and busy, caring nothing for Miss Woodhouse, and defying Miss Smith. The charming Augusta Hawkins, in addition to all the usual advantages of perfect beauty and merit, was in possession of an independent fortune, of so many thousands as would always be called ten, a point of some dignity as well as some convenience. The story told well. He had not thrown himself away, he had gained a woman of ten thousand pounds or thereabouts, and he had gained her with such delightful rapidity— the first hour of introduction had been so very soon followed by distinguishing notice. The history which he had to give Mrs. Cole of the rise and progress of the affair was so glorious. The steps so quick, from the accidental recontra to the dinner at Mr. Green's and the party at Mrs. Brown's, smiles and blushes rising in importance, with consciousness and agitation richly scattered— the lady had been so easily impressed, so sweetly deposed, had in short, to use a most intelligible phrase, been so very ready to have him, that vanity and prudence were equally contended. He had caught both substance and shadow, both fortune and affection, and was just the happy man he ought to be. 
talking only of himself and his own concerns, expecting to be congratulated, ready to be laughed at, and with cordial, fearless smiles, now addressing all the young ladies of the place, to whom, a few weeks ago, he would have been more cautiously gallant. The wedding was no distant event, as the parties had only themselves to please, and nothing but the necessary preparations to wait for. And when he set out for Bath again, there was a general expectation, which a certain glance of Mrs. Cole's did not seem to contradict, that when he next entered Highbury, he would bring his bride. During his present short stay, Emma had barely seen him, but just enough to feel that the first meeting was over, and to give her the impression of his not being improved by the mixture of pique and pretension now spread over his air. She was, in fact, beginning very much to wonder that she had ever thought him pleasing at all, and his sight was so inseparably connected with some very disagreeable feelings that, except in a moral light, as a penance, a lesson, a source of profitable humiliation to her own mind, she would have been thankful to be assured of never seeing him again. She wished him very well, but he gave her pain, and his welfare twenty miles off would administer most satisfaction. The pain of his continued residence in Highbury, however, must certainly be lessened by his marriage. Many vain solicitudes would be prevented, many awkwardnesses smoothed by it. A Mrs. Elton would be an excuse for any change of intercourse. Former intimacy might sink without remark. It would be almost beginning their life of civility again. Of the lady individually, Emma thought very little— she was good enough for Mr. Elton, no doubt, accomplished enough for Highbury, handsome enough to look plain, probably, by Harriet's side. As to connection, there Emma was perfectly easy, persuaded that after all his own vaunted claims and disdain of Harriet, he had done nothing. On that article, truth seemed attainable. What she was must be uncertain, but who she was might be found out and setting aside the ten thousand pounds, it did not appear that she was at all Harriet's superior. She brought no name, no blood, no alliance. Miss Hawkins was the youngest of the two daughters of a Bristol merchant, of course he must be called, but as the whole of the profits of his mercantile life appeared so very moderate, it was not unfair to guess the dignity of his line of trade had been very moderate also. Part of every winter she had been used to spend in Bath, but Bristol was her home, the very heart of Bristol. For though the father and mother had died some years ago, an uncle remained, in the law line, nothing more distinctly honourable was hazard of him than that he was in the law line, and with him the daughter had lived. Emma guessed him to be the drudge of some attorney, and too stupid to rise, and all the grandeur of connections seemed dependent on the elder sister, who was very well married, to a gentleman in a great way near Bristol who kept two carriages. That was the wind-up of the history. That was the glory of Miss Hawkins. Could she but have given Harriet her feelings about it all? She had talked her into love, but, alas, she was not so easily to be talked out of it. The charm of an object to occupy the many vacancies of Harriet's mind was not to be talked away. He might be superseded by another— he certainly would, indeed. Nothing could be clearer. Even a Robert Martin would have been sufficient, but nothing else she feared would cure her. Harriet was one of those who, having once begun, would be always in love. And now, poor girl, she was considerably worse from this reappearance of Mr. Elton. 
She was always having a glimpse of him somewhere or other. Emma saw him only once, but two or three times every day, Harriet was sure just to meet with him, or just to miss him, just to hear his voice, or see his shoulder, just to have something occur to preserve him in her fancy, in all the favouring warmth of surprise and conjecture. She was, moreover, perpetually hearing about him, for, excepting when at Hartfield, she was always among those who saw no fault in Mr. Elton, and found nothing so interesting as the discussion of his concerns. And every report, therefore, every guess, all that had already occurred, all that might occur in the arrangement of his affairs, comprehending income, servants, and furniture, was continually in agitation around her. Her regard was receiving strength by invariable praise of him, and her regrets kept alive, and feelings irritated by ceaseless repetitions of Miss Hawkins' happiness, and continual observation of how much he seemed attached. His air as he walked by the house, the very sitting of his hat, being all in proof of how much he was in love. Had it been allowable entertainment, had there been no pain to her friend, or reproach to herself, in the waverings of Harriet's mind, Emma would have been amused by its variations. Sometimes Mr. Elton predominated, sometimes the Martins, and each was occasionally useful as a check to the other. Mr. Elton's engagement had been the cure of the agitation of meeting Mr. Martin. The unhappiness produced by the knowledge of that engagement had been a little put aside by Elizabeth Martin's calling at Mrs. Goddard's a few days afterwards. Harriet had not been at home, but a note had been prepared and left for her, written in the very style to touch, a small mixture of reproach with a great deal of kindness. And, till Mr. Elton himself appeared, she had been much occupied by it, continually pondering over what could be done in return, and wishing to do more than she dared to confess. But, Mr. Elton, in person, had driven away all such cares. While he stayed, the Martins were forgotten, and on the very morning of his setting off for Bath again, Emma, to dissipate some of the distress it occasioned, judged it best for her to return Elizabeth Martin's visit. How that visit was to be acknowledged, what would be necessary, and what might be safest, had been a point of some doubtful consideration. Absolute neglect of the mother and sisters, when invited to come, would be ingratitude. It must not be, and yet the danger of a renewal of the acquaintance. After much thinking, she could determine on nothing better than Harriet's returning the visit, but in a way that, if they had understanding, should convince them that it was to be only a formal acquaintance. She meant to take her in the carriage, leave her at the Abbey Mill, while she drove a little farther, and call for her again so soon as to allow no time for insidious applications or dangerous recurrences to the past, and give the most decided proof of what degree of intimacy was chosen for the future. She could think of nothing better, and though there was something in it which her own heart could not approve, something of ingratitude, merely glossed over, it must be done, or what would become of Harriet? Chapter 5 Small heart had Harriet for visiting. Only half an hour before her friend called for her at Mrs. Goddard's, her evil stars had led her to the very spot where, at that moment, a trunk, directed to the Reverend Philip Elton, Whiteheart, Bath, was to be seen under the operation of being lifted into the butcher's cart, which was to convey it to where the coaches passed. 
and everything in this world, excepting that trunk and the direction, was consequently a blank. She went, however, and when they reached the farm, she was to be put down at the end of the broad, neat gravel walk, which led between espalier apple trees to the front door, the sight of everything which had given her so much pleasure the autumn before was beginning to revive a little local agitation. And when they parted, Emma observed her to be looking around with a sort of fearful curiosity, which determined her not to allow the visit to exceed the proposed quarter of an hour. She went on herself to give that portion of time to an old servant who was married and settled in Donwell. The quarter of an hour brought her punctually to the white gate again, and Miss Smith, receiving her summons, was with her without delay, and unattended by any alarming young man. She came solitarily down the gravel walk, a Miss Martin just appearing at the door, and parting with her seemingly with ceremonious civility. Harriet could not very soon give an intelligible account. She was feeling too much— but at last Emma collected from her enough to understand the sort of meeting and the sort of pain it was creating. She had seen only Mrs. Martin and the two girls. They had received her doubtingly, if not coolly, and nothing beyond the merest commonplace had been talked almost all the time, till just at the last, when Mrs. Martin's saying, all of a sudden, that she thought Miss Smith was grown, had brought on a more interesting subject and a warmer manner. In that very room she had been measured last September with her two friends. There were the penciled marks and memorandums on the wainscot by the window. He had done it. They all seemed to remember the day, the hour, the party, the occasion. To feel the same consciousness, the same regrets. To be ready to return to the same good understanding. And they were just growing again like themselves— Harriet, as Emma must suspect, as ready as the best of them to be cordial and happy, when the carriage reappeared and all was over. The style of the visit and the shortness of it were then felt to be decisive. Fourteen minutes to be given to those with whom she had thankfully passed six weeks, not six months ago. Emma could not but picture it all, and feel how justly they might resent, how naturally Harriet must suffer. It was a bad business. She would have given a great deal, or endured a great deal, to have had the Martins in a higher rank of life. They were so deserving that a little higher should have been enough. But, as it was, how could she have done otherwise? Impossible. She could not repent. They must be separated. But there was a great deal of pain in the process. So much to herself at this time that she soon felt the necessity of a little consolation— and resolved on going home by way of Randall's to procure it. Her mind was quite sick of Mr. Elton and the Martins. The refreshment of Randall's was absolutely necessary. It was a good scheme, but on driving to the door they heard that neither master nor mistress was at home. They had both been out some time. The man believed they were gone to Hartfield. "'This is too bad,' cried Emma as they turned away. "'And now we shall just miss them.' too provoking. I do not know when I have been so disappointed. And she leaned back in the corner to indulge her murmurs, or to reason them away. Probably a little of both, such being the commonest process of a not ill-disposed mind. Presently the carriage stopped. She looked up. It was stopped by Mr. and Mrs. Weston, who were standing to speak to her. There was instant pleasure in the sight of them, and still greater pleasure was conveyed in sound— for Mr. Weston immediately accosted her with, 
How do you do? How do you do? We have been sitting with your father. Glad to see him so well. Frank comes tomorrow. I had a letter this morning. We see him tomorrow by dinner time to a certainty. He is at Oxford today, and he comes for a whole fortnight. I knew it would be so. If he had come at Christmas, he would not have stayed three days. I was always glad he did not come at Christmas. Now we are going to have just the right weather for him. Fine, dry, settled weather. We shall enjoy him completely. Everything has turned out exactly as we would wish. There was no resisting such news, no possibility of avoiding the influence of such a happy face as Mr. Weston's, confirmed as it all was by the words and the countenance of his wife, fewer and quieter, but not less to the purpose. To know that she thought his coming certain was enough to make Emma consider it so, and sincerely did she rejoice in their joy. It was a most delightful reanimation of exhausted spirits. The worn-out past was sunk in the freshness of what was coming— and in the rapidity of half a moment's thought, she hoped Mr. Elton would now be talked of no more. Mr. Weston gave her the history of the engagements at Enscombe, which allowed his son to answer for having an entire fortnight at his command, as well as the route and the method of his journey, and she listened and smiled and congratulated. "'I shall soon bring him over to Hartfield,' said he at the conclusion. Emma could imagine she saw a touch of the arm at this speech from his wife. "'We had better move on, Mr. Weston,' said she. "'We are detaining the girls.' "'Well, well, I am ready,' and turning again to Emma. "'But you must not be expecting such a very fine young man. You have only had my account, you know. I dare say he is really nothing extraordinary.' though his own sparkling eyes at the moment were speaking a very different conviction. Emma could look perfectly unconscious and innocent, and answer in a manner that appropriated nothing. "'Think of me tomorrow, my dear Emma, about four o'clock,' was Mrs. Weston's parting injunction, spoken with some anxiety, and meant only for her. Four o'clock? Depend upon it, he will be here by three, was Mr. Weston's quick amendment, and so ended a most satisfactory meeting. Emma's spirits were mounted quite up to happiness. Everything wore a different air. James and his horses seemed not half so sluggish as before. When she looked at the hedges, she thought the elder at least must soon be coming out. And when she turned round to Harriet, she saw something like a look of spring, a tender smile even there. "'Will Mr. Frank Churchill pass through Bath as well as Oxford?' was a question, however, which did not argue much. But neither geography nor tranquillity could come all at once, and Emma was now in a humour to resolve that they should both come in time. The morning of the interesting day arrived, and Mrs. Weston's faithful pupil did not forget, either at ten, or eleven, or twelve o'clock, that she was to think of her at four. "'My dear, dear, anxious friend,' said she, in a mental soliloquy, while walking downstairs from her own room. "'Always over-careful for everybody's comfort but your own. I see you now in all your little fidgets, going again and again into his room, to be sure that all is right.' The clock struck twelve as she passed through the hall. "'Tis twelve. I shall not forget to think of you four hours hence. And by this time to-morrow, perhaps, or a little later, I may be thinking of the possibility of their all calling here. I am sure they will bring him soon. 
She opened the parlor door and saw two gentlemen sitting with her father, Mr. Weston, and his son. They had arrived only a few minutes, and Mr. Weston had scarcely finished his explanation of Frank's being a day before his time, and her father was yet in the midst of his very civil welcome and congratulations when she appeared, to have her share of surprise, introduction, and pleasure. The Frank Churchill, so long talked of, so high in interest, was actually before her. He was presented to her, and she did not think too much had been said in his praise. He was a very good-looking young man. Height, air, address, all were unexceptionable. And his countenance had a great deal of the spirit and liveliness of his father's. He looked quick and sensible. She felt immediately that she should like him, and there was a well-bred ease of manner and a readiness to talk which convinced her that he came intending to be acquainted with her, and that acquainted they soon must be. He had reached Randall's the evening before. She was pleased with the eagerness to arrive which had made him alter his plan, and travel earlier, later, and quicker, that he might gain half a day. "'I told you yesterday!' cried Mr. Weston with exultation. "'I told you all that he would be here before the time named. I remember what I used to do myself. One cannot creep upon a journey. One cannot help getting on faster than one has planned. And the pleasure of coming in upon one's friends before the lookout begins is worth a great deal more than any little exertion it needs.' "'It is a great pleasure when one can indulge in it,' said the young man. "'Though there are not many houses that I should presume on so far.' But in coming home, I felt I might do anything. The word home made his father look on him with fresh complacency. Emma was directly sure that he knew how to make himself agreeable. The conviction was strengthened by what followed. He was very much pleased with Randall's, thought it a most admirably arranged house, would hardly allow it even to be very small, admired the situation, the walk to Highbury, Highbury itself, Hartfield still more, and professed himself to have always felt the sort of interest in the country which none but one's own country gives, and the greatest curiosity to visit it. That he should never have been able to indulge so amiable a feeling before passed suspiciously through Emma's brain, but still, if it were a falsehood, it was a pleasant one, and pleasantly handled. His manner had no air of study or exaggeration, he did really look and speak as if in a state of no common enjoyment. Their subjects in general were such as belonged to an opening acquaintance. On his side were the inquiries, was she a horsewoman? Pleasant rides? Pleasant walks? Had they a large neighbourhood? Highbury, perhaps, afforded society enough? There were several very pretty houses in and about it. Balls? Had they balls? Was it a musical society?' But, when satisfied on all these points, and their acquaintance proportionally advanced, he contrived to find an opportunity, while their two fathers were engaged with each other, of introducing his mother-in-law, and speaking of her with so much handsome praise, so much warm admiration, so much gratitude for the happiness she secured to his father, and her very kind reception of himself, as was an additional proof of his knowing how to please— and of his certainly thinking it worth while to try to please her. He did not advance a word of praise beyond what she knew to be thoroughly deserved by Mrs. Weston. But, undoubtedly, he could know very little of the matter. He understood what would be welcome. 
he could be sure of little else. His father's marriage, he said, had been the wisest measure. Every friend must rejoice in it, and the family from whom he had received such a blessing must be ever considered as having conferred the highest obligation on him. He got as near as he could to thanking her for Miss Taylor's merits, without seeming quite to forget that in the common course of things it was to be rather supposed that Miss Taylor had formed Miss Woodhouse's character than Miss Woodhouse Miss Taylor's. And at last, as it resolved to qualify his opinion completely for travelling round to its object, he wound it all up with astonishment at the youth and beauty of her person. "'Elegant, agreeable manners I was prepared for,' said he. "'But I confess that, considering everything, I had not expected more than a very tolerably well-looking woman of a certain age. I did not know that I was to find a pretty young woman in Mrs. Weston.' "'You cannot see too much perfection in Mrs. Weston for my feelings,' said Emma. "'Were you to guess her to be eighteen, I should listen with pleasure, "'but she would be ready to quarrel with you for using such words. "'Don't let her imagine that you have spoken of her as a pretty young woman.' "'I hope I should know better,' he replied. "'Now, depending upon it,' with a gallant bow, that in addressing Mrs. Weston I should understand whom I might praise without any danger of being thought extravagant in my terms. Emma wondered whether the same suspicion of what might be expected from their knowing each other, which had taken strong possession of her mind, had ever crossed his, and whether his compliments were to be considered as marks of acquiescence or proofs of defiance. She must see more of him to understand his ways, at present she only felt they were agreeable. She had no doubt that Mr. Weston was often thinking about it. His quick eye she detected again and again, glancing towards them with a happy expression, and even when he might have determined not to look, she was confident that he was often listening. Her own father's perfect exemption from any thought of the kind, the entire deficiency in him of all sort of penetration or suspicion was a most comfortable circumstance. Happily, he was not farther from approving matrimony than from foreseeing it. Though always objecting to every marriage that was arranged, he never suffered beforehand from the apprehension of any. It seemed as if he could not think so ill of any two persons' understanding as to suppose they meant to marry till it were proved against them. She blessed the favouring blindness— he could now, without the drawback of a single unpleasant surmise, without a glance forward at any possible treachery in his guest, give way to all his natural kind-hearted civility in solicitous inquiries after Mr. Frank Churchill's accommodation on his journey, through the sad evils of sleeping two nights on the road, and express very genuine, unmixed anxiety to know that he had certainly escaped catching cold, which, however, he could not allow him to feel quite assured of himself till after another night. A reasonable visit paid, Mr. Weston began to move. He must be going, he had business at the Crown about his hay, and a great many errands for Mrs. Weston at Ford's, but he need not hurry anybody else. His son, too well-bred to hear the hint, rose immediately, also saying, "'As you are going farther on business, sir, I will take the opportunity of paying a visit, which must be paid some day or other, and therefore may as well be paid now. I have the honour of being acquainted with a neighbour of yours.' Turning to Emma, "'A lady residing in or near Highbury, 
a family of the name of Fairfax. I shall have no difficulty, I suppose, in finding the house, though Fairfax, I believe, is not the proper name. I should rather say Barnes or Bates. Do you know any family of that name? To be sure we do, cried his father. Mrs. Bates, we passed her house. I saw Miss Bates at the window. True, true, you are acquainted with Miss Fairfax. I remember you knew her at Weymouth, and a fine girl she is. Call upon her by any means. There is no necessity of my calling this morning, said the young man. Another day would do as well, but there was that degree of acquaintance at Weymouth which— Oh, go today, go today. Do not defer it. What is right to be done cannot be done too soon. And besides, I must give you a hint, Frank. Any want of attention to her here should be carefully avoided. You saw her with the Campbells when she was the equal of everybody she mixed with, but here she is with a poor old grandmother who has barely enough to live on. If you did not call early, it will be a slight. The son looked convinced. I have heard her speak of the acquaintance, said Emma. She is a very elegant young woman. He agreed to it, but with so quiet a yes, as inclined her almost to doubt his real concurrence. And yet, there must be a very distinct sort of elegance for the fashionable world, if Jane Fairfax could be thought only ordinarily gifted with it. If you were never particularly struck by her manners before, said she, I think you will today. You will see her to advantage. See her, and hear her, no. I am afraid you will not hear her at all, for she has an aunt who never holds her tongue. Oh, you are acquainted with Miss Jane Fairfax, sir, are you? said Mr. Woodhouse, always the last to make his way in conversation. Then give me leave to assure you that you will find her a very agreeable young lady. She is staying here on a visit to her grandmamma and aunt, very worthy people. I have known them all my life. They will be extremely glad to see you, I am sure, and one of my servants shall go with you to show you the way. My dear sir, upon no account in the world, my father can direct me. But your father is not going so far. He is only going to the crown, quite on the other side of the street, and there are a great many houses. You might be very much at a loss, and it is a very dirty walk, unless you keep on the footpath, but my coachman can tell you where you had best cross the street. Mr. Frank Churchill still declined it, looking as serious as he could, and his father gave his hearty support by calling out, "'My good friend, this is quite unnecessary.' Frank knows a puddle of water when he sees it, and as to Mrs. Bates, he may get there from the crown in a hop, step, and a jump. They were permitted to go alone, and with a cordial nod from one and a graceful bow from the other, the two gentlemen took leave. Emma remained very well pleased with this beginning of the acquaintance, and could now engage to think of them all at Randall's any hour of the day with full confidence in their comfort. Thanks, guys, so much for listening today. I really, really do appreciate every single one of you that tunes in. And if you want to let me know what you think of the podcast, I would love to hear it. I did get a little note on Facebook from a fan, uh, which totally just made my day. And it's one of those things where I don't know why sometimes I just don't get a notification. It's like, where, how did I miss this? And I'll just be like glancing back through something like, oh, my goodness. So Trisha Martin on Facebook, thank you so much for the content. She said, uh, Brady, I 
I so enjoyed your reading of Emma. I do love the classics. I agreed with a gentleman before you read uh, that you should have an expanded audience. So thank you, Trisha. I'm, I'm glad we've got at least two people. Well, I guess three if you count me, but I don't know if my vote really counts there. So we've got at least two, maybe three people on the boat that uh, think the, the audience should be bigger here with a bunch of free audiobooks coming out of uh, all sorts of places for everybody to enjoy. So if you think the audience should be bigger, you do like Trish. Do like Trish Martin on Facebook did and uh, leave me a comment. Share the uh, podcast with other people. That is the best way to help us grow. And uh, yeah, just get more people to enjoy all this awesome content. At least I hope it's awesome. Hope you think it's awesome. That's what's important. So thanks for listening today, guys. We will catch you next week. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Carl. Hi. Carl needs a website for his business. I sell the world's finest flavored toothpicks. But sadly for Carl, he doesn't know all the techie, complicated website stuff. So he's just out of luck, and his business is doomed to fail in this digital age of... Um, actually, I got my website set up super fast and easy with Invicta.services. You... What? Yeah, it was super easy. I just picked the style I liked, made a few quick, simple customizations, and bam, awesome website where I can sell my flavored toothpicks. But that's, well... Amazing? I was going to say, probably expensive. Actually, getting a website with Invicta starts at only $24 per month. $24 per month? That's less than what I spend on vocal creams per month. It's awesome. It gets you website hosting, a beautiful, professionally designed, customizable template, ongoing site maintenance, regular WordPress plugin, and template updates. I don't say this often. But, wow. I know, right? Invicta.services, the simple, affordable way to get a beautiful, professional website for your business. Just go to Invicta.services to launch your website today. That's Invicta, I-N-V-I-C-T-A dot services. Invicta.services, a professional website, headache-free. And just for Another World Audiobooks listeners, go to Invicta.services and then enter the code ANOTHERWORLD to get your first month free. That's right, go to Invicta.services and enter ANOTHERWORLD as your coupon code to get an entire month free and get started with your professional website at Invicta.services.